So one of the things we've asked our life groups to do is to gather around a missionary and um, to pray for them and, and help with the support needs. Our life group has my brother, and we're excited to welcome him today. He's going to be talking with, us, talking with us about what he's doing with Firm Foundation in Christ Ministries. This is David Moore. Thank you. It's a privilege to be able to share with you guys again. I've had the opportunity to share it at your old building and then at the gym and now here as well. Um, and it's been fun to, to see how God has been continuing to use you as a church here in this community. Um, I'm just grateful for the financial support of this church uh, and there's a uh, partnership with me in the ministry that God has called me to. As many of you know, I was with Wycliffe Bible Translators uh, for uh, 18 and a half years uh, and then about a year and a half ago, made a switch and am working with an organization called Firm Foundation in Christ Ministries, which was really born out of the ministry of Wycliffe Bible Translators. The focus of uh, Firm Foundation in Christ Ministries is on training nationals to do follow-up with new believers. Um, and actually, even sort of one step removed from that, really, our goal is to train nationals to be trainers of others to do follow-up with new believers. Uh, what we saw uh, through uh, Wycliffe, uh, and through, as the translated scriptures are made available to people, uh, oftentimes uh, there's many people who come to Christ as they're able to finally read the scripture in their own language for the first time. And also we worked with the, the Jesus film. Uh, and as people see that uh, gospel message in a very um, clear way in their own language, uh, many of them come to Christ. But the challenge is many of the churches aren't prepared for the hundreds and sometimes thousands of people that all of a sudden want to follow Jesus. And what does it mean to be a Christian? And so helping them to have the tools to be able to follow up those new believers. Um, this, uh, just this last month, uh, my coworker Rich Gardner was, had the opportunity to go to Ethiopia. Uh, we were invited to go and do training with some of the Eritreans uh, there. Eritrea is just located uh, north of uh, Ethiopia in northeast Africa. Uh, Eritrea is often known as the North Korea of Africa, very strong communist country, um, very strong oppression there. Uh, like in China, there is uh, a version of the church that is allowed there, but it's very heavily restricted, um, and um, it, I would say that most of the people in that uh, church are not true believers and don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But some of the underground church leaders asked us to come. We were able to do training with them in Ethiopia, just across the border, and it was incredible to see uh, the persecution that they go through, but yet their heart for the Lord and their desire uh, to be trained, their desire to, to walk with the Lord and to uh, help others to do that as well. Uh, in May, in just a month and a half or so, I'll be going over to uh, Ethiopia, I'm sorry, to Nigeria. Uh, most of our work, FFICM, is in Nigeria, Ethiopia, and Cameroon. Uh, we've also done some stuff in Russia and Eastern Europe as well. Uh, in Nigeria, one of the things that we're seeing is many uh, Muslims are coming to Christ. And we don't hear about this in the news here in the U.S., uh, but it's incredibly exciting. Uh, and one of the challenges that the churches there are having is how do they work with all of these new believers that are coming to Christ. And for some of them, they experience extreme persecution. And what the churches have been doing is extracting them from their communities and trying to, to help them to establish a, a new life in a new location uh, but the challenge is 
that works when there's just a few, but when you have hundreds, thousands coming to Christ, you can't extract all of them from their communities and find new places for them and new lives, new jobs. Uh, and it's also not very strategic for the spread of the gospel if they're extracted from their community. So one of the things that we're seeing is that um, if they are able to gain some specific training uh, that they can have as an asset, they can go back into their community, and their community will accept them because they have something that the community needs. Uh, And so um, they will be, uh, we're doing training in partnership with another organization called ITEC, uh, and uh, they're going to be training them in, in both dental skills uh, and small engine repair. And I'm going to be going on that trip, uh, helping to facilitate that. I'll be sharing more about that tonight. Uh, as Cindy mentioned, tonight from 6 to 8 uh, here, uh, we'll have some food and some sharing. And we'll, I'll share some specific stories, some testimonies of some of the, the people that we work with. But also what I want to do is have some time for you guys to be able to pray for some of the specific prayer requests for some of the specific people. And then there will also be an opportunity for you to write some notes of encouragement. And I'll take some of those over there when I go back over there. Um, the believers over there uh, are really encouraged to know that there are people here in the U.S. Uh, that are praying for them, standing with them in solidarity. Um, one other thing I want to mention, uh, and on, uh, well, two other things, and I'll share more about it tonight as well. Uh, this, uh, in July, uh, we'll be doing a training with university students in Ethiopia. Last year, we did this for the first time. We did two trainings for uh, 100 students each, and those 200 students then went out and they shared the gospel with over 20,000 people in the month that followed. And over 2,000 new believers uh, resulted from that. Over eight churches were planted. Uh, we'll be doing that again this year uh, and uh, equipping them. And then also in the fall, we have three conferences that we do uh, on evangelism and follow-up. The large one, there's three to 4,000 uh, Nigerians who come from all over Nigeria, as well as a few from other neighboring countries. Um, and so if you come tonight, you can hear more about that. But I also just really want to say thank you. Thank you to Livingstone Church. You guys have uh, financially partnered with me through Wycliffe and now through FFICM for, I'm not even sure how many years. I should have looked that up before I came. I don't know if any of you know, but I, it's been over five years uh, that you guys have been contributing financially as a church. And there's also some individuals uh, in the church as well. If you're interested in knowing more, uh, we're currently at about 85% of our financial support need as a, as a family, uh, but also if you want to contribute specifically towards some of these trips we have coming up this year, I uh, would love to talk to you more about that either after the service uh, or you can come tonight um, or you can get in touch with um, Casey and Cindy's uh, life group and they can tell you more as well. So thank you. This morning we're going to read from Isaiah 55, 8 through 13. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but the water, but the earth, and, and make it Um, bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it, it, 
<clears throat> and it shall prosper in the thing for which I meant it, sent it. Um, for now you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thus says the Lord. Thank you, Kathy. And that is um, really kind of the, the framework of, uh, or the, the backdrop, I'm not sure what the right word is, for what we're going to talk about, the word going forth, God's word going forth. So I'm going to go through Acts 16 and 17, and I will go pretty much straight through it. So you can read uh, on your Bible, your tablet, your phone. Uh, I probably won't be jumping around too much. So we call this the, the second wave. Uh, who is it? This is Paul and Silas and Timothy. And then uh, we think that Luke joins them along the way. Uh, the background is, is that the Holy Spirit had sent Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey to the Gentiles in AD 47 to 48. And Tom Buell talked about that last week. And at one point, Mark departed them and went back to Jerusalem, and that upset Paul. And uh, Paul removed Mark from that missionary team, but that wound up with being two missionary teams going out. This is the second missionary journey to this area. And uh, after some time... In Acts 15.40, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. This journey was in AD 50-52. And this is God's word going out to the Gentiles. So kind of where is this? Um, the previous slide showed uh, the uh, sort of the biblical uh, um, countries in that area. But if you scroll forward one slide, uh, that's what it looks like uh, in today. Uh, they came out of Syria, went through Turkey, across over to uh, Mac as Macedonia, down to Greece, and then uh, sailed back over to Israel. Uh, if you go one more, the, the next detail is that they go to Derby and Lystra. Uh, Acts 16, 3, uh, Acts 16:1-3. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the, of the Jews who were in those particular places, for they knew his father was Greek. Now, why is this said, and why is this important? Because Paul made a big deal, and Tom spoke of this last week, of circumcision not being required uh, to become a believer in Jesus. So, some answers to that. Uh, if you go forward one, Paul planned to go into the synagogues and argue or reason with them that Jesus was the risen Christ. Timothy wouldn't have had access to go into those synagogues if he wasn't circumcised. Why would anybody know? Well, the Jewish people knew that Timothy was uncircumcised because his mother was Jewish. He was a believer. He was raised uh, 
Jewish, but his father was Gentile and apparently didn't allow him to be circumcised. Paul would have expected a Jewish believer like Timothy to maintain the outward sign of God's covenant relationship with Israel. And I think one, and uh, uh, Paul applied the principle from 1 Corinthians 9.20, to the Jews I have become a Jew in order to win the Jews. And there are some more arguments um, uh, in Galatians uh, 2, 3 to 5. They talked about uh, Titus not being circumcised, and that there were false brothers in there, were Judaizers coming in to try to argue that one must become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Uh, this is not the case with Timothy. So, kind of my first point is, in any kind of mission, there are different strategies based on the people, place, and culture. We need to pray, be knowledgeable, and listen to the Holy Spirit's leading, and be flexible without compromising the gospel without compromising the gospel. And uh, so that was, uh, that was what uh, Paul was doing. And uh, uh, the word went forth. Acts 16, four to five. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them uh, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Acts 16, six. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, that's kind of what it looks like. They're, they're going through. They, didn't, they couldn't go down into Asia. The Holy Spirit didn't let them go into Bith, Bithynia. Um, so what's going on here? The Holy Spirit is leading Paul. The sovereign spirit, God's sovereign spirit is leading Paul. Acts 16, 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas. Troas was a coastal city and a departure point for Greece. Go back one. We're, we're not quite to Greece yet. Oops. <clears throat> In slide uh, eight, uh, if you had that, what's, what's, what's the point? Who is God and what is he doing? The Holy Spirit is sovereign and directing Paul's missionary journey to the Gentiles. So now in Troas, in Acts 16, 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now the, sense, uh, the tense of the text switches at this point, if you read in your Bible, saying in Acts 16, 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. We know that Luke wrote Acts so apparently, Luke was joining the missionary team at this point. Acts 16, 11, they sailed from Troas to an island named Samothrace, if that's the correct pronunciation, and on the next day, sailed to Neapolis. Now, um, in Acts 16, 11 to 12, from Neapolis, they hiked to Philippi, which was the foremost city in that part of Macedonia. This was on the Roman road called the Ignatian Way, or Via Ignatia. Now, uh, if you go forward, uh, so you can see where Neapolis is right on the uh, uh, upper right of the water there, and then they hiked up to Philippi. And if you go forward one slide, we watched a film. Uh, I'm not sure it's an um, um, authoritative biblical source, but uh, if you know the, uh, uh, the BBC movies Perot, the, the uh, uh, murder mysteries, that uh, uh, Agatha Christie movies, um, 
a gentleman uh, uh, plays that part, and his name is David Suchet. And so I, uh, he, he had this whole film on it, and that's David Suchet walking on the Ignatian Way. That's kind of what it looked like. Paul, apparently, according to some of the, of the references, walked in his three missionary journeys over 10,000 miles on these roads. So Paul uh, was, was, he had, uh, he had the Holy Spirit. He had the, the experience uh, on the road to Damascus. And he was an awesome person uh, himself. He was raised in, um, now I knew I was going to forget the word. Help me out. Uh, Tarsus. And uh, uh, he, was a, he was fluent in Greek. He was a, a Jew's Jew. He was, he was trained by uh, Gamaliel, the head, uh, he was a Pharisee. Um, so Paul knew how to get into this culture. He knew uh, the scriptures, and he knew how to speak to the people. So, they, uh, so in Acts 16, 13, uh, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So apparently the Jewish community in Philippi was small, and either there wasn't a synagogue or there was a small one by the river. The law was apparently that if there were 10 or more men, Jewish men in an area, there had to be a synagogue. So apparently there weren't 10. Uh, but I don't, don't, don't assert that. I just, I'm using logic there. Acts 16, 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira and a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Lydia and her family likely became uh, some of the first European Christians. Lydia is honored in the Bible. She's, she's honored by being mentioned by name in Acts. She's honored by identifying her profession, a merchant of purple fabrics, uh, which was the color of royalty and the rich. And she was apparently single or a widow because she was the head of her household. And she pleaded with Paul and his team to come to her house, and they did. Uh, and so, what's the point? People are important to God. And it doesn't matter, regardless of gender. Uh, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, slave, free, or what your race is, people are important to God. Acts 16.6, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Acts 16.17, she followed Paul and said, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And 18, and, and this she kept up doing for many days, having Become, and then Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to her and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. <clears throat> Eventually, Paul became annoyed because he perceived that the message of the gospel would be confused with what this fortune teller was saying or what they were selling. So in the name of Jesus, Paul uh, ordered that, uh, that demon out of the, of the girl. And he had the power to do so. The Holy Spirit was with Paul. And I guess one question in reading the commentaries, some commentaries say, 
she was saved, and we don't know. It doesn't say specifically, at least uh, in my version of the Bible. Sorry about my voice. I'm allergic to the melting snow, and so it just kills me this time of year. <clears throat> uh, Acts 16, 19 to 22. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And, then, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. The slave girls were upset about the loss of revenue, and they stirred up the naysayers. Um, the officials... Um, uh, beat them without any kind of trial. Perhaps it happened so quickly, it was mob rule, that they couldn't tell them that they were Roman citizens. And the Jewish leaders were resolute that they did not want this Christian sect or this Christian belief to take root. So they were, they were part of this, this mob. And so they were beaten and thrown into jail. I can just imagine how I would feel, um, and I'm not very gutsy with this, if I came into town and went to the churches and in the marketplace and was sharing the gospel, and in response to that, I was stripped and beaten and thrown into jail. How would I feel about that? Well, what did Paul and Silas do? Acts 16:25. They were thrown into the worst part of the jail, basically a dungeon, and put their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I, that's just amazing to me, and I, I've never been on the mission field, but, but uh, the Holy Spirit was with them, and Paul was resolute in going forward. Acts 16, 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unleashed. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because in Rome, uh, if a jailer let a prisoner go, he had to suffer his fate or just kill himself. And so Paul said, uh, um, he shouts to him, Acts 16, 28, Paul said with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And uh, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, they shared the gospel with him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now this doesn't mean that if dad believes, the whole household is saved. Paul shares the simple gospel of Jesus Christ to him. Um, the jailer takes Paul and Silas to his home, takes care of them, washes their stripes, and the rest of the household shares in that, and they individually become believers. Um, and they're all baptized. Pray and praise God in all things, and be ready in all situations to share the gospel. Now, who in our congregation demonstrates that every day? that the worship team gets texts every, every morning from Reuben, uh, and, and he's always sharing 
uh, the gospel with us. And uh, it's, it's just it's a great ministry. Reuben is suffering from cancer. Pray and praise God in all things. The other thing is, uh, uh, the other point that I had is that uh, do not return evil for evil. Paul did not try to get even with the jailer. Uh, it was more important to be humble and bring this jailer and his family to the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 35 to 38. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And they, uh, they now, uh, and they, oh, they, and I want to throw us out secretly. No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police uh, reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came, Acts 16, 39. They came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Um, so Paul didn't do this to shame them or put them down. What he was doing was making sure that Christianity did not become confused or associated with an illegal religion. Because if remember, originally they're saying, this is not legal for us as Romans to do. And he was making sure that that didn't stick. So we move on to Acts 17. And uh, on the map of that, uh, there's uh, that little uh, red thing like you see on uh, Waze or Google as up at uh, Neapolis and Philippi. They, uh, they go uh, on to... Uh, uh, Thessalonica, and I thought I had drawn a, drawn a, uh, a red line in there, but apparently it didn't come across. Um, Acts 17, 1 to 3. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing these words right, and, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And what did Paul do? Goes right in. He goes right in and, as his custom, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom, whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So first, the necessity for the Christ or Messiah to suffer. Uh, this is found in the Old Testament, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. The necessity for him to be, be risen from the dead and identification of Jesus as the Christ. Acts 17.4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and and a, and a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But once again, the Jews, some of the Jews, who were not the naysayers, were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now, this time, they were, say, they were staying uh, at Jason's house, and they dragged Jason and some brethren out and accused them, uh, but uh, this time they took security. So they took like a bond or something and they let them go. The brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So Berea um, is over on the left there. So they went from Thessalonica over to, to Berea. And uh, when they arrived in Berea, they did the same thing. They went to the synagogue of the Jews and reasoned with them. And once again... Many believed, some of the Jews and some of the Gentiles, and many of the women as well. Now, Acts 17, uh, 11. 
These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed uh, with not a few of the Greek women of high standing as well as men. So once again, Paul is saying that all the people are important, Jews, Gentiles, men and women. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, if you go forward, the uh, Thessalonian mockers came down to Berea. Acts 17, 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul in Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. The brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea. 17, 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. The brethren sent Paul away. I'm repeating that. Acts 17, 15. Paul was taken to Athens and he and he summoned Silas and Timothy to join him there. So now Paul's in Athens. And what happens in Athens? Well, his spirit is provoked when he saw that the city was given over to idols. It was a polytheistic society. They had all these, these gods that they worshipped. Um, and uh, they were carving images of them. And uh, made me kind of think of, uh, I mean, this isn't the same thing. But uh, they, they had all these idols and images that people would buy and take home. Kind of like when I go to Yellowstone Park, I always come back with another T-shirt. But it's, that's, a, that's a different thing. <laughs> um, he goes into the synagogue in Athens, Acts 17, 17. And he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with the people there. Now, they were also in, in Athens, they were uh, philosophers uh, and they... They spend a lot of time arguing philosophy. And my apologize to those of you who have studied philosopher. I'm a retired engineer. I did not study philosophy. But I'll say the words. Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. They called him a babbler. And uh, some said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached, to, uh, preached Jesus and the resurrection. Now, what is an Epicurean and a Stoic philosopher? Well, I, I, of course, consulted that absolutely reliable uh, source on the Internet, Google. <laughs> so this may be uh, not accurate. But uh, Epicurus, the founder of Epicurean, uh, Epicureanism, uh, said that a man is miserable because he desires things that he need not desire. If we but, but learn or habitualize ourselves to desire only those things which are necessary and natural to us as human beings, we would be able to bathe in the pure joy of being. Sounds like some philosophies that are being promoted today. In fact, right at the first of the year, almost every show on TV had declutter, 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 declutter. Sounds a little bit like the Epicurean philosopher. Stoic philosophers, in contrast to Epicureans, believe that there are many things outside control of our control in life. Therefore, many things which could befall us and make our lives very difficult. Sickness, loss, poverty, etc. And there's this goddess, Fortuna, who controlled that, and so they believe that. Um, and they, so they were kind of defeatist almost. Well, they argued with these guys. And so if you go forward, uh, they went to what was called the Areopagus, or sometimes called, uh, more modern, called Mars Hill. This is a great big rock uh, that people would, would go to, uh, and they would argue there, things of the law, things of religion, sometimes trials. And in this case, Paul... Uh, preached to them. 
And, um, and what he found there, um, Acts 17, to 25. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said to men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So Paul preached uh, to the unknown God, or preached that the unknown God was the true God, I should say, and uh, that he also preached that, that uh, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he ordained, and that's Jesus. Well, once again, some mocked, some believed, and they wanted to hear more, the ones that believed. Uh, Acts 17.32, some mocked, some wanted to hear him again. And some joined him and believed, along with Dionysus, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So once again, people are named by name. So the point is, Paul sowed the seeds of the gospel. The gospel went out to the Gentiles and to Europe. We can sow the seeds of the gospel. So just kind of review. Paul was an educated man, and he was a learned Pharisee. Spoke multiple languages. He had a dramatic conversion experience with the Holy Spirit. He was driven. He had urgency in his message because he thought the world was going to end soon. And Jesus was going to come back, and he still is. Um, Paul was sent and directed by the Holy Spirit to preach to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit led him to Macedonia. He reasoned with people and the with Jewish people and Gentile worshipers in the synagogues and in the marketplaces. Some believed, some mocked. In Philippi and Thessalonica, uh, Jewish leaders uh, stirred up the crowds against Paul and Silas. And in Philippi, Paul and Silas were whipped and jailed. And they tried to do it in Berea. Paul didn't seek revenge. His focus was on sharing the gospel. He could be direct and bold, but he could also be kind and loving. He's the one that wrote Later in his books, love is kind, love is gentle, etc. Said the words that are read at at, uh, at weddings. Paul planted the seeds and followed up to nurture the the churches. The Holy Spirit guides and empowers Paul, Silas, and Timothy to serve him and proclaim his story to the Gentiles. God's word goes out, and the seed is sown through the proclamation of God's story, and the relationships formed. The seeds of God's word do not come back void. Teach them to your children, to your grandchildren, and whoever God puts in your path. It may not seem like anything is happening, but God's word does not come back void. Some will believe and some will mock. It is up to God to have the Holy Spirit move in people's hearts. So a little personal story. Um, Glenn talked about that 15-year-old kid. Uh, I can't remember, Glenn, exactly how you couched that, but so scroll back about 55 years. I'm that 15-year-old kid uh, in Wenatchee. And uh, uh, my sister, who's five grades ahead of me, uh, was dating a guy, now her husband, who played in a folk singing group. And uh, so I enjoyed listening to them play. And I was, at the time, I was playing swing. I was in a swing band. I was a band geek, and I loved doing that. 
and we've been watching films about swing music here lately. But uh, um, and that's a whole other story. But I I was really into uh, swing and jazz, and uh, and of course we like to dance to rock and roll, and and it was fun to listen to the folk music. But I wasn't into country music. I apologize to those who love country music. Um, but this tape, my, my brother-in-law had this tape, and um, we played it somewhere back there all those years ago. So I'm studying about Paul and Silas and his tune, Paul and Silas bound in jail all night long. I'm not singing it well. And, and it goes through my head and goes through my head. But where? Why am I having this tune in my head? Well, it turns out, and I found the tape. I still have it. I hardly throw anything away. You should see my house. Um, so there's this tune. It's Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. And they play this. Now, let me play just a little bit of it. Can you do that, that last tune? Paul and Silas bound to jail all night long. Paul and Silas bound to jail all night long. Paul and Silas bound to jail all night long. Who shall deliver poor me? Play the air guitar, but that's the embarrassing. <laughs> Jailer cried, what must I do? All night long. Jailer cried, what must I do? All night long. Jailer cried, what must I do? All night long. Who shall So what's the point of that? Um, it almost makes me tear up. I wasn't following the Lord. My family wasn't following the Lord. The bluegrass group wasn't, or the folk singing group wasn't following the Lord. I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't being taught in any way. But those are words of the Bible. That's scripture. And it's stuck in my head for 55 years. Thank you, Lord. Holy Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that uh, people like David are going out and sharing your word. Just, Just like Paul and Silas and Timothy, and Luke did. Father, uh, we know that your word does not come back void, and we thank you for that. And we ask that your Holy Spirit just strengthen us and work in us so that we can be more gutsy, that I can be more gutsy in sharing these, sharing your word, sharing the gospel and having at least a piece of that urgency that Paul had, that Jesus is coming home soon, and we need to believe.